Worried Writer, helping you to overcome fear, self-doubt and procrastination to get the work done. I'm your host, Sarah Painter, and I'm a novelist and self-confessed worried writer. For show notes, resources and much more, please head to worriedwriter.com. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode 63 of The Worried Writer. I'm recording this on Wednesday the 29th of April 2020 and it's a bright day here in Scotland. The weather has been outstanding over the last week, which has been a real blessing. Here in Scotland, we are still in full lockdown due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And, as I did last month, I want to start by wishing you the very best during this difficult time. I hope you are safe and well, and that you are managing to get through this scary time as well as possible. Thank you for the lovely messages I received after last episode. The consensus was that you would prefer I carry on the show as normal, as it gives a wee bit of routine and normality to these unusual and uncertain times. With that in mind, I went ahead and recorded an interview for today's episode. It's with Wendy Hurd, who has two thrillers published by Myra, and she co-hosts the Unlikable Female Characters podcast. We chatted before the recording and decided that we wouldn't dwell on the virus situation to give everyone, including ourselves, a wee break from it. Before I go any further, I want to say a massive thank you to everyone supporting the show on Patreon. I truly appreciate it. And hello and welcome to new patron, Marie Nicholson. Thank you so much. Next, a quick writing update. I managed to get my writing routine back this month after a shaky start. I concentrated on being kind to myself. And as always, uh, that was a far better strategy than beating myself up for not being more focused and productive. I also had several uh, virtual meetups with writer friends in which we chatted about work stuff and wrote in sprints. It's the closest thing to my beloved writing retreats and cafe writing sessions uh, possible at the moment, and they have really helped. If you have a writer friend or two, I highly recommend meeting over Zoom or Google Hangouts or whatever you prefer and writing together. I actually got to the end of my next crow book, which is called The Pearl King. It will need rewriting and editing, but I'm absolutely delighted and relieved to have got to this point. I also worked quite a bit on my non-fiction book, Stop Worrying, Start Selling, which will be out either next month or early June. It concentrates on mindset issues around selling, marketing and making money, as well as giving some tips and strategies for marketing and branding for authors. As always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you too for your messages and for sharing, rating and reviewing the show. It really does help uh, to spread the word about the podcast and I really appreciate it. As ever, if you have got a question you would like answered on the show, you can email me, sarah at worriedwriter.com or find me on Twitter at Sarah R. Painter. Before we get to the interview, I just want to say a quick shout out to some lovely folk on Twitter. Nikki Golding, who is at Nikki underscore Golding, said that um, have just finished reading Stop Worrying, Start Writing and would highly recommend it. It gave me the boost that I needed. Thank you so much, Nikki. Julie Cordner, who is at Julie underscore Cordner and the lovely Paul Teague, who is at Paul Teague UK. I've recommended it before, but if you haven't listened to Paul's podcast, uh, which is called self-publishing journeys you can find it at selfpublishingjourneys.com and then do give it a go Speaking of podcasts, um, the World Anvil people um, have launched a podcast. They create world building software or, well, software that helps you organize your own world building for uh, writing, particularly fantasy, I think it's especially good for, or science fiction, and also for RPGs or role playing games. 
You can find out more about the software and their new podcast. Uh, head to at World Anvil on Twitter. Okay, once again, I do hope that you are keeping well. And if you are managing to write, that's great. If you're not able to write at the moment, that's completely understandable and fine. Please just be kind to yourself. This is really unprecedented times that we're living in and anxiety is extremely high. Um, so it's possible that your brain is just not able to be creative at the moment. If that's the case, please don't beat yourself up. Be kind to yourself. Uh, take care. So with that said, on to the interview section of the show. Wendy Hurd is a thriller author with two novels out from Myra in the US, Hunting Annabelle, a serial killer thriller, and The Kill Club. She co-hosts the Unlikable Female Characters podcast, in which feminist thriller authors discuss female characters who don't care whether you like them or not, which sounds amazing. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Well, I'd love first, if you don't mind, to hear a wee bit more about your podcast, um, Unlikable Female Characters. What can listeners expect from that? Yeah, so we've been at it for just over a year. Um, it's three authors. It's Lane Fargo, Kristen Lee Pianca, and me. And we talk about just how feminism or a lack thereof shows up in fiction and in um and in popular media. We talk a lot about different characters that are in the mainstream and some that aren't. Uh, right now we're exploring different tropes, like the um, the archetypes of different types of women. Like, for example, one that everyone knows is the femme fatale. Mm -hmm. um, and we're exploring, uh, we just actually are, one that went live today is called the hysterical woman. And we did a little dive into like hysteria and, in antiquity and uh, the, ar the archetype of the hysterical woman. So we tend to just kind of dive into that in fiction. That's fantastic. And, and how did the show come about? <laughs> well, we were, <laughs> we were mad about something. <laughs> All the best uh, ideas. <laughs> we were mad about something. Um, it was like when we started emailing each other and then one thing led to another and we thought it would be fun. And um, it it's something that women authors get asked about a lot is the likability of their female characters. I don't know if you've ever been asked about that. Um, it's certainly something that uh, author acquaintances have been asked about um, and also I have had an editorial comment occasionally along the lines of, she doesn't seem very likable here. And that makes right. my, my hackles rise. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's such an interesting thing, likability. Like, what is that? And mm -hmm. so we kind of wanted to explore that. Like, what is it to be likable and unlikable? Um, and also, you know, it's that thing where you want to reclaim a word a little bit. Like, is it so bad to be unlikable? Like, what is unlikable anyway? Does it just mean autonomous? Does it just mean with agency? Does it just mean like a person who has a consistent personality that doesn't change their personality to adapt to those around them, which is something that women have been taught to do? Mm. So is it someone who's un, who's unhelpful to the men around her? She doesn't help them feel better about themselves all the time. You know, <laughs> what is it? So we've been, we thought we'd be exploring it for a little while and we're still exploring it about a year later. So mm. there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> and as you said, as you alluded to at the beginning, an awful lot of material as well. In yeah. the <laughs> well, and it's this thing where, you know, we have, it's, I mean, there's so much, but it's do male characters, do male authors get asked about the likability of their characters? Like is Jack Bauer likable Right. Mm -hmm. Like, do, did he have to worry about that? Like he has a mission to accomplish, but like, is he likable? Is he nice? Like, is that something that <laughs> like that male <laughs> authors get asked about their male characters? Right. Mm, gosh. Yeah. And is there some like thing with men where they're like, she's not likable. She's a badass assassin. You know, she kills men like, OK, well, settle down. You know, what else is there? Absolutely. It's a wee bit like the strong female character thing that can be a bit of a um, a trap oh in that, you know, what, again, what does strength mean? And if you're kicking ass, that's yeah. fine. You're a strong female character where right. but it seems quite a narrow, it's a narrow definition, isn't it? It's coded, right? It's like mm. when men say like, I love strong women, but I just don't think blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like they, <laughs> it, it becomes a sort of like first part of a nasty sentence, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, fascinating. Well, I am definitely I going to be listening and I will obviously put a link in the show notes. Oh, well, thank you. So 
Let's go back to the beginning. I'm going to ask the usual question, I'm afraid. You'll be glad to hear it's not about likable female characters. It's, um, <laughs> did you always want to write? Yeah, I have, um, I have always gone back and forth between writing uh, visual art and music. I have a degree in painting. I thought I was going to be like a, a fine artist. And I had also started out writing books, like right out of college, I took a gap year and I was like, I'm going to write my first book. Um, it's so awful. But I was like, I was hoping to be like a female Kerouac is what I was hoping. Like I went on like these awful road trips and like wrote these just terrible, <laughs> painful uh, novellas. <laughs> Shockingly, nobody wanted to publish. I can't un- imagine why. Um, and then, and then um, yeah, and then I, I was in college. I got uh, I got an art degree, so I kind of stopped writing. And I've been playing the guitar since I was seven. I started playing classical guitar as a kid. So I never really was sure which of those three art forms I would sort of land on as my permanent, uh, this is what I will hope to do professionally. Mm-hmm. But it just kind of worked out to writing. And I do miss painting a lot I haven't had as much time for it um I definitely don't mean to have like set that aside completely well I'm sure I'm sure you haven't that's the great thing about writing and I imagine painting is that it is something that you can do it's not an Olympic sport you can do it uh, uh, which is great yeah And, yeah and what led you into um writing serial killer thrillers and am I am I sort of characterizing them correctly no worries yeah I I definitely did not intend to write these kind of books. I thought I would write literary fiction mm-hmm. when I first started writing. And, um, you know, it, it's actually kind of, it was actually kind of a hard decision because I have a lot of, uh, like English teachers and professors in my family who are quite, I did not feel necessarily very supported writing genre fiction. And I don't have that situation where I have like a super proud family, you know, some, op- some authors have that, like, family. I have a friend whose family comments on all of her author posts on Facebook and they're like, you know, go get them, honey. Like, you know, it's, it's, you know, I think they, they think it's cool that I've published, but I, I definitely feel self-conscious about the type of books that I've ended up writing. It's just, I don't know. It's like sometimes no matter what you try and sit down to write, a certain type of book comes out. And I have a real love for um, like commercial pacing and I love mystery and danger and like all those dark things. And so it's just the type of story that I enjoy figuring out. It's almost like writing mystery. It's like you're playing chess against yourself, you know, cause you have to set up what's going to trap your hero and then you have to try to get them out of it. And I have this thing I love to do where I I'll write my main character into a corner, but I won't plot out act three mm-hmm. so that I've truly lost as the main character and I really have to figure out how to get out and I honestly don't know how they will that's really fun you know and I kind of fell in love with it but yeah I definitely didn't intend to and I find things about the genre a bit limiting and frustrating sometimes so it's definitely not the only genre I ever want to write in Mm, well that's fascinating and I'm nodding away because I I very much had the same sort of um I hope you won't mind me saying hang-ups about I wanted to write you know I thought I was going to write literary fiction. I kept trying to, and I did a master's, and I realized that I was really yeah. trying to please everybody else. And it was when I sat down and wrote something just for me that I wrote a readable book. <laughs> um, That's and it, right. You know, um, so yes, yeah, sorry, just nodding away, total agreement. But I, I also think, have you, you know, you said you have also always enjoyed sort of mysteries and so on. And I did wonder about you picking the sort of darker side of fiction. Um, and I think that reading dark or scary fiction can give us a sort of catharsis and also lets us explore maybe our fears, but in a safe way. And I just wondered whether you think that's true of writing it as well, or if that's true for you. Wow. So I'm so, this is one thing I really wanted to talk about with you because this is something I really enjoy about your podcast is being able to unpack these type of emotional components to writing and like why we do this. So I wanted to tell you this. So when I was uh, researching Hunting Annabelle, which is um, very psychological, like the main character has a a a neurologist for a mom, a neurosurgeon, and sees a psychiatrist and the book is, it was a lot of psychological and psychiatric research because he has some very specific mental illnesses that I had to research to get right. 
Um, anyway, so I was interviewing a clinical psychologist and she started talking about anxiety and dark fiction. And she said one treatment she recommends for anxiety is to either go on a roller coaster or watch something really scary or read something really scary. Because she said, what happens is your body gets stuck in the first part of a stress cycle, like of a running away from the enemy stress cycle. And you have, it really helps your body if you help it finish the stress cycle. So watch something where there's a resolution, let your body go through the whole cycle of anxiety. And then at the end you're done. And so she said, here are some things I suggest. And then she said for writers of it, she always thinks, and she said this and I'll never forget it. She said, it's the familiar darkness, but this time I'm in control. And so she said, it's for writers. It's going into a place of emotional place that feels like a familiar, scary place for whatever reason, but taking control back. And now you get to write the story, Mm. which I found really kind of like, I was like, can't wait to tell you this. Oh, that's amazing. And that really really resonates as well. That's thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting. And I also, I've never heard, I haven't heard the um, completing the kind of fight or flight reaction in that way, which again, that makes so much sense. I'm yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. She says it's like you start spinning and you're the person, you have a brain that doesn't know how to stop on its own. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Whereas most people can feel anxious about something and then their brain knows how to, once that threat has passed, that anxious moment has passed, they know how to just move on. They don't oh, need help uh-huh. finishing that cycle. Oh, gosh. And so is, did it resonate with you when you, were, when you heard that? Is that something that you've kind of experienced with exploring the darker side? Actually, yes, because I realized I have a real problem. Like, I don't like to sit down and write a scene unless I can finish the scene. It makes me really unhappy to, like, leave a scene halfway. I know people who can do that. They can just drop pieces in and then, like, I'll come back to it. But I really can't. I have to finish the scene. And when she said that, I was like, that makes sense. That's probably why I really hate – I find it really uncomfortable – Like, I don't know about you, but if I start a book, I'll just read it straight through. I will Mm -hmm. binge the book until it's done. I don't like to feel like it makes me feel uncomfortable to leave partway through. And I have anxiety, you know, and so that really made a lot of sense to me. Because I'm like, yeah, that's probably why I will obsessively watch a whole season or read a whole book or listen to the whole audio book while I'm doing everything, right? Because I need to finish that cycle. I don't know how to finish it on my own. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Another thing that I was thinking about in terms of of writing darker things is something that a lot of us struggle with um, is a kind of fear of judgment when we're writing. And, you know, you can have that feeling of, oh, is this a bit too far? Or is this a bit too emotional? Or, you know, is this too soppy? Or whatever. And I, I it occurred to me that maybe writing in the sort of darker genre, did you ever have a fear of judgment of that's too much, that's too horrid, that's too uh, too revealing? Uh, you know, that kind of, oh, everyone's going to think I'm a sick puppy if I, you know, um, yeah. is, is that something that you've ever struggled with? I still struggle with it. Mm. I mean, I, I still wish that I had a different name at work than I do in writing. I, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't really think about this. Like, <laughs> I did not think this through. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's not, it's not my favorite thing when people find out that I write books that I know in person, um, because mm-hmm. then the next thing is, oh, what is it called? And I'm like, it's called the Kill Club. You know, like, <laughs> I don't love, um, I don't love that. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's embarrassing a little bit. Like, I do feel a bit ashamed sometimes. But I mean, at the same time, anyone who knows me, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> so it's really just that like out and about, um, I don't know about you, but like, it's already hard trying to reconcile your various identities. You know, you're a mom, you're a, you know, a worker, you're a writer. And it's like, those are all parts of you. And it's hard to sometimes reconcile them with each other. So yeah, it is, it is difficult. I do feel embarrassed about it. And I do feel, I didn't feel with hunting Annabelle totally free to like unpack the full darkness of that story until I got it agented. And my agent was like, we're going into act three and you're going to go all in. You've got to stop worrying and just go in. And so I actually did like rewrite the last third of that book because she did feel like I was censoring it a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So I've had to be told like, you've got to go. And then after that, I learned how to just like stop worrying as I'm writing and be like a little Mm -hmm. more punk rock with the kill club. I kept having to tell myself, 
you're going to have to be a little more punk rock if you're going <laughs> to write this book well. Like you're going to have to just stop caring what people think and just write the story. Mm. But it's not easy. I don't know if it's easy for you. It's not easy for me. No, not at all. Not at all. I was going to say, I think, um, I imagine, whatever the genres, because we write in different different genres, yeah. I think there is that fear of judgment. There's that fear of embarrassment. And the, the first couple of years, or the first year after being published and meeting really lovely, supportive, kind folk at the playground gates, picking up my children from primary school or whatever, and then chatting. And then they would say something about, oh, you've written a book, or I've heard you've published a book. And and the full body cringe of just yes. embarrassment and yes. shame. And there's no real logical reason for that, <laughs> you know. I, I try to like, it's, it's like emotional nudes. It's yes. like, <laughs> if you have naked photos out in the world that were taken of you when you were like 20 Mm -hmm. and those photos are just everywhere and you know the second someone googles you they're going to see you naked that's kind of what it feels like (laughs) you're so right and they are they are a snapshot of of a moment in time as well you know the book that I wrote in 2012 I wouldn't necessarily well I wouldn't write it the same way because I'm a different person and it's a different time so it is also like you say a sort of snapshot that's a really really good way of putting it so your debut came out in 2018, I believe. Yes. So this, all of this kind of exposure, if you'll forgive the term, is still <laughs> is still quite new. Is you know, yes. it's still early days, really. And um, I'd love to hear about your path to publication and kind of how that how that all went for you. Yes. Well, you already know about my terrible early writing experiences. <laughs> Writing's awful. Uh, very self-congratulatory uh, novellas. Like I used to write them on trains. I just can't. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, but that was like twenty years ago, right? So you were allowed. Then it was, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It took a long time. I mean, I did set it aside a few times. I'd write something, set it aside. I really picked it up back in, again in earnest in twenty ten um, after having put it aside for like a good five years and. Then I really was like, we're we're doing this, like we're doing this, we're doing this. And I wrote, I just started writing. Um, and I think I wrote from 2010 to 2016, wrote four books, didn't get published. And then Hunting Annabelle was the fifth that I had written since I had been back. So I had written a total, I think Hunting Annabelle is like my seventh book that I've ever written. Mm-hmm. I submitted it to agents for a while and it didn't get picked up. And then I broke... This is kind of interesting. I broke a lot of bones. This sounds weird. <laughs> I, I took a fall and then I took another fall. So I ended up with a broken wrist and a broken hip on the same side of my body. Oh my goodness. So I could not use the left side of my body for three months. So like, if you could imagine, I couldn't wheel a wheelchair because of my broken wrist, but I couldn't use crutches because of my broken hip. Oh my goodness. And I was like, stuck in the house alone for like three months. And I rewrote Hunting Annabelle and I put it back out to agents and then it got picked up. So that was the version when I was like, so that's what you said. It's like a snapshot. Like there's a reason it was a dark story. I was in a really dark place when I was rewriting that book. Like that was a very hard time. I was stuck alone inside for months and I could only use one hand. <laughs> so I actually like rebroke my wrist writing Hunting Annabelle. I had it in a cast um, and I, they gave me like a soft cast and I told them, you're going to want to put a hard cast on this because I can mm-hmm. still type with mm-hmm. this thing on. They said, just be careful. You're fine. But I have this weird pain thing where I don't feel things. I have like a very strange pain tolerance thing. And I did, I rebroke my wrist writing Hunting Annabelle and had to have it reset. And now there's a plate in it. Oh my goodness. Well, that's, <laughs> I know. that's, that's rock full on. I was going to say, you are very rock and roll. You definitely win the worried writer, punk rock writer award. Um, but ouch, my goodness. After all that, when Hunting Annabelle finally got a book deal, I got mm. the the largest tattoo. I can't explain to you. My whole back <laughs> is like covered with this tattoo that I got because I was just like, we're going to get a, we're going to do a very punk rock celebration of this extremely punk rock thing that just happened. Oh, well, when, when you were sharing that you'd, you know, written a few books before you got your, um, got your agent and got your deal, I was thinking, wonderful. Again, thank you for sharing that because I always want people to know it's completely normal to have to write a few books and Uh, seven is like the average number. 
So I was thinking, oh, look oh, at that. Wendy is bang on average in her number of books. And then you went all punk rock and broke your wrist and your hip and rebroke your wrist and not average <laughs> at all. <laughs> so I should tell people that every time they send me a bad review of Hunting Annabelle, I'll be like, do you know what I did for this book? <laughs> every time someone tags me in a bad, a bad review. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> My goodness. So um, so you got your agent, you worked on, on it editorially with her and rewrote it. And then uh, you got the deal with Myra. So that must have felt amazing. Yeah, that was really great. It was very surreal. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it was it was awesome. It was a very like, I don't know if you've ever had those moments where it's such a big thing that you can't react. And my agent was like, this is a really good thing. This is a big five book deal. This is exciting. And I was like, yes, it is. I know, like, (laughs) but it was just at the end of such a long road that I think the most overarching emotion was just relief. Mm -hmm. Like, because Mm -hmm. for so long it was like, oh, she's trying to be a writer. I wonder when she'll give up, you know, kind of a feeling. So I was like, thank God, at least this happened, you know? Absolutely. No, I totally relate to that. (laughs) So it was a two book deal or a yeah it was a two book deal okay. I'm off it now so I'm, I'm going back back out on submission oh, so it's like starting over right I mean I think oh, people think that luck. once you publish once it's just like a dominoes right no like you finish your book deal and you're back out on submission like the first time over, right I have a third book coming out it's a young adult so I'm starting a new young adult brand okay and that's with a different publisher so like I'm not you know I'm not saying like nothing's going well but I'm just I think people should know that like just because you've published one or two I mean each time it's like being freelance who knows if you'll sell another one oh absolutely and I I coped with that reality very poorly uh, how are you yeah, coping I'm with not, that not too good actually I'm not doing too <laughs> yeah not too good. you tough. know because we see these like success stories of people who just seem like it is dominoes Mm-hmm. right? It just, it looks like that from the outside. Absolutely. It does. And there's no sort of set career path. There's nothing, there's an awful lot of smoke and mirrors. And so all you can do is compare the outside of other people's success and generally only a handful of successes because those are the ones that we hear about. That's so right. it really skews it. But I, I definitely found the uncertainty and the knowledge that my my writing career was in other people's hands and that I was going to have to go through the whole submission rejection and I could write a book. I could spend a year writing a book and then nothing, nothing. So yeah, I, I, I coped poorly. So uh, much empathy. Uh, to How you. are you doing now? How do you handle it Well, um, what I did, which I, I know isn't for everybody, but I uh, put my business brain on and I went hybrid. So I yeah. do independent publishing alongside it uh, alongside traditional and it changed my life I am now a very happy very happy writer and I can also support my family so for me it was absolutely the right decision I think that's a really interesting yes I love that because I think you're right like I I I was talking about this with my with actually my friend Lane who we do our podcast together Mm -hmm. we both talk about this like we're both career women you know we we're we're type A, like we like to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. And it is really frustrating to think about writing a book for a whole year. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go because that's not what publishing is looking for. Is there something else we can do with these lost books? Like, or is that just too much time spent marketing to be worth the return? I mean, that's because I have a lot of friends who self-publish and it, it is like many, many hours. Mm-hmm. It's like, I have a friend, it's like, she has a full on degree in marketing. I mean, right. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely still figuring marketing out, um, yeah. but I don't spend and I don't spend a great deal more time marketing for my independent books than I do for my trad books because there's still a certain amount sense. of marketing you have to do. Uh, yeah. You know, unless you, again, unless you're one of the uh, real headline uh, success stories, um, lead titles um, right. for a publisher. So, but yeah, I mean, I'm fully aware that it might be skewed for me now because I've got used to doing it. So what I really like is that you can do the marketing that works. Um, when you're doing marketing for your trad pub- published books, there's lots of sort of raising awareness. There's lots of uh, things that you can do, but you're not really sure how effective they are and so on. That's right. Whereas with the books that I control myself, that I publish through my own imprint, I can put an advert on those and I can see that 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 advert is converting and that I'm making sales from it. And so funnily enough, I don't really mind spending the time to set that up because I know it works. Yeah. And I see a result. So for me, so that's how I kind of see it really is that now I'm in control. 
I think we're all really interested. And I think it's important to talk to people who want to be authors about the different models. You know, you don't have to choose between self-published and traditionally published. You can, you can, like, I I have always thought that I have a thing where I want to write speculative stuff Mm -hmm. and I want to write like weird speculative stuff. You know (laughs) what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I I have just like the desire to write about like historical vampires sometimes stuff that is not going to get picked up by anybody. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. so I, I have always thought eventually I'd love to do a, a, a second brand either under different name or same name, different brand. Like, you know, maybe find a little tiny imprint. who'd be willing to let me do my, my weird ones. <laughs> or I something. Think, yeah. I'll start your own imprint as we were just start, saying, yeah, because that's, yeah. I mean, that is the other thing that about it that's really helped me is that freedom that I don't have to wait for permission from anybody right. to write whatever I want. Yes, okay. I know. I know that if I write something really off brand and um, maybe more niche, I'm not going to make much money doing it. But no one gets to tell me that it doesn't get out in the world, that. that I'm not allowed, that it doesn't go yeah. out in the world. And that has been very, I mean, just hugely empowering. So, yeah, I love it. Anyway, I won't derail. <laughs> You no, got me started. I'll go on and I think it is like um I think I don't know about you, but there's a reality check moment in publishing mm. traditional oh. books where so like behind the scenes, if it's okay for me to like mm. quickly, but like let's say I want to go on submission for a book and I, I have to send my agent a number of ideas and she'll pick the one that's the most uh that's the most viable, you know? Mm-hmm. For example, I just as an example, uh podcast thrillers kind of hit really hard. Sadie and there were a couple big ones. Um okay. oh uh hello there. Yeah. So anyway, there's like a, there were like three big ones that came out in the space of a year and a half. So if I had been wanting to write a podcast thriller, um, unfortunately that space is a bit crowded, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. not that there's any, not that your agent is sitting here, uh, censoring you and policing you, but your agent's job is to try to sell your books. And so he or she is going to take a look at the ideas you have. You're going to run ideas by them. Mm -hmm. What should I write next? You know, and they're going to say, okay, how about, why don't you write up a pitch for like these three? I'd like to see a little bit more info on these three. So you're going to put a pitch together and they're going to say, okay, I think this one's your best bet. And you know, you're going to send it out and like, she's going to find a, try to find an editor that is interested in books like that. And then that editor might be like, yeah, I am interested in books like that, but I'd actually really need it to be like this. Mm -hmm. So the idea that you're just writing a book and selling it is not the reality of being a working writer. You're really, or if you're writing a book on like a too big deal and you already have a book deal, but you, they have to hear your proposal. I have a friend who went through seven, seven proposals before they picked one for her book too. Oh boy. You know, I mean, it's uh-huh. just like, you don't, you got to tailor it to your editor's taste, to what your imprint is looking for. If they have another book similar coming out that same season, you're going to have to pick another project. It's not just, I write the book I want and I put it out there. So as you're saying, I think, having an outlet for that freedom of creativity it sounds really appealing and you can also move more quickly as well because as you yeah. say with the traditional route like you say you've got your agent and then it goes on submission and then if it gets picked up the lead time as you know in traditional publishing is very very it's quite long you know forever so, yeah <laughs> my young adult book coming comes out in about a year mm-hmm. and I got that book deal like over a year ago it's like a two and a half year lead time on that book yeah it's it's fine it's just how it is and that's why it's not generally viable to um you know to make a full-time living with trad only even if you make it you know even if you have a really good advance because of all that uh time lag and so yes i i definitely well i highly recommend it and um, in terms of writing the second book, again, so we've talked a wee bit about that kind of pressure, yeah. realizing that there's still more rejection and submission to go and so on. How did you find writing the dreaded second book? The second book is really tough. Mm-hmm. So you're writing it and you're marketing your first book and you do not know what the hell you are doing <laughs> marketing your first book. I mean, you're doing everything and nothing at the same time. Like you're doing all the stupid things you shouldn't be doing, wasting your time, And you're not doing the things you should have been doing in retrospect. You know, it's not, there isn't a blueprint for how to market a book. Everyone has, you have to try on a couple different books and publishing has very little, um, like leeway for failure. If your first book doesn't hit, it's very difficult, um, to get people on board with Mm -hmm. similar books Mm -hmm. coming out after. So there's a lot of pressure on that first book to hit and to do pretty well. So that pressure you're feeling on your first book, while that panic you're feeling of not knowing what you're doing, especially for someone who likes to know what you're doing, um, 
And then trying to be creative and write the second book that's the right follow-up, that's in a similar world, but something really fresh and exciting. And to do it in like six months, right? Yep. Is a whole hell of a thing. I thought writing the Kill Club was going to actually kill me. But I had um, my aforementioned tattoo artist tell me something that I never forgot, which was he said, sometimes I do my best work when I'm under pressure, though, because I can't overthink it. Mm, And I was like, all right, all right. And that did help me get through it, actually, (laughs) just remembering that line. I was like, all right, all right, all right. Because I kept thinking, I'm not going to do good work right now. I'm too stressed. Uh Um, uh And also, sometimes, I mean, people work on their book that gets them a deal a lot, and usually for at least a year. And then if you've got a short a shorter time to write your second book, there is also that anxiety that you just don't yeah. have enough time to to properly percolate and do a good job. But it's not true. You know, writing under pressure, writing quickly does not equate to writing poorly. In some ways it does. Like there's a lot of stuff, like at the line level in the Kill Club, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things at the line level I wish I had more, had more time to change. Mm-hmm. This is my first time writing under deadline. Mm-hmm. And I think um, I think it's it's like I wrote a total of eight books at that point, only one of them got published. So I kept thinking, what if the one I'm working on right now is like one of the former eight? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, maybe I could only do it once. Maybe I don't have another good book in me. Maybe that was like a fluke. I think I hear people think that a lot. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. That's very familiar. For some reason, we don't equate writing those books beforehand with practice as we would perhaps when you were, you know, learning to paint or learning the right. guitar as a, as a child, <laughs> um, rather, you know, it, it would be like playing a guitar piece really well for the first time and saying, well, that's it. Then I will never be able to play like that again. That was the one time, but somehow with writing, that's what we do. It's, it's very yeah. odd. Um, but yes, it you're definitely, you're definitely not alone. Next off, I, I really wanted to delve into the kind of nitty gritty of your writing process and your kind of uh, how you fit writing in around work and all of that. But um, we chatted about this a wee bit before we came on air, but I'm aware that we are currently, we're chatting during a global pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Nervous laughter. Everything's fine. Everything's, Everything's fine. Everything's fine. fine. Um, so... I don't mind at all if you want to share your usual process um, for writing and getting writing done, or if you want to chat about how it's affecting you now, I don't mind. Um, but I just wanted to acknowledge for the listeners that this is when we're recording it. So yeah. if we sound slightly uh, manic, unhinged, <laughs> unhinged <laughs> that's why. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. So I have, I feel like we need to hear more authors say this, but I have a full-time job. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most people, it's like, it's almost a matter of um, admitting failure to say I have a full-time job because it makes you seem like you're not a real writer or you're not one of the chosen few or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. But I have a mortgage and I live in Los Angeles. So unless I'm about to start selling four books a year and someone's going to bestow free healthcare upon me, I'm going to continue having to have a full-time job. So I have this full-time job and I have a kid. And so writing is something that has been fit into the crevices of that. So anytime my daughter is in, she does competitive gymnastics, which is kind of a new thing, but she does that um, all right in the parking lot while she's doing that. Or on the weekends, I usually wake up at five or six and write for a couple hours before she's up and she needs me. Um, If she's on a play date or if she has like a friend over or a sleepover, I'll take advantage of those hours to write. So writing has become sort of the thing I do instead of hobbies and instead of (laughs) social life. Uh, That's just the reality of it. You know, you can't do everything and you have to choose what's most important to you. So I kind of have chosen writing as the thing that's most important to me right now. Although I can sometimes go too hard. I forget that it's also work and that my brain needs breaks, and that I I do tend to work really hard and burn myself out. So my new goal is to like allow myself to not burn out, and if that means I have to sleep in until six thirty on the weekends, <laughs> that sounds crazy. But like for a long time, I've been waking up at five o'clock on the weekends because I'm like that's valuable work time I could be doing. And eventually, you kind of run, you kind of ring yourself out, and you start losing some of the love for it. So I'm trying to, I just released a book a few months ago. So I'm trying to now, I don't know, reclaim a little bit or let this be a season where I'm just writing and being creative and I'm not as hard going so hard with promo. 
So it's like cyclical, I guess, seasonal. A few months before your book comes out, all you're doing is promo. I mean, you're just, there's no creativity. There's just all promo, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, were Myra very good and supportive with that? Yes, they've been great. I have a publicist um, that I absolutely love working with. My editor's been amazing. I've had two editors, um, and they've both been wonderful. So I've had nothing but good experiences, and I've met a lot of really awesome writer colleagues through that imprint, and I'll be really sad uh, if we don't get to keep working together as colleagues, you know, just because I think I might end up on submission elsewhere. We'll see. Mm-hmm. But I, I still feel like there's so much that you have to do as the writer. I mean, if you're that mid-list author who's, unless you're, like you said, in the top, what, 1%, 5%, Right. Where they gave a, they did a huge, a huge advance. They've got a lot of money invested in this and they're going to make sure it hits list. Mm-hmm. Unless you're that person. Yeah. You're doing a lot of your own promo. You know, you've got to hustle. You're getting out there talking to book bloggers. You're on bookstagram. You're trying to maintain your social media presence in three different places. You're having an author newsletter. You're, I mean, you're doing interviews. You're doing like little think pieces. I mean, everything, right? Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it is. It's a lot. It's very, uh, overwhelming and I, I don't know yeah. if you found this but I find it quite hard to write when I'm very outward facing because Absolutely. the kind of I need to feel like everything's safe and private when I'm writing because I'm pretending yes. no one will ever read it that's um, right yeah so that's tricky too and then like release season I think there was one month where I had like seven essays <sighs> that I wrote in one month right so it's just like what, when Gosh. am I gonna write like I'm writing you know Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. No, that's really tricky. But I'm I'm glad that you had a positive experience with Myra. That's really great to hear. Um. Again, yeah. you know, not everybody does have a positive experience. Um. Regardless of the publisher, for various reasons. So, um, that does sound positive overall. But there's still um something about it's something you want for so long, and then you step through that doorway to the magical land of the published, and it's another set of steps. It's another. That's right. You know, that's a that's great tough. way to describe it. That's perfect. Um, but it's very hard to come to terms. I found that emotionally difficult to come to terms with a wee bit. I still didn't feel like a real writer and that was a struggle. Yes, what's mm, up with that? I, I still don't feel like a real writer. <laughs> yeah, imposter syndrome. What <laughs> is so, that? Oh, it just kicks us. You think if I just can do this, and mm-hmm. I think that's what keeps guilt, that keeps killing us because once you've published and then you're like, well... I didn't get a starred review. I didn't get into, I didn't get a review on the New York times or I didn't get, um, I didn't hit the list or I didn't hit this list or I didn't (laughs) get the Amazon orange banner or whatever. I've heard all the things that people, um, hold themselves to, right? Like I didn't get invited to this conference or I haven't been, you know, invited to do this thing. Like, a Goodreads choice, like whatever. I didn't get this award. Like there's it's such... endless, isn't it? Uh-huh. Yes. I, I can't imagine a world in which I could ever accomplish the things I would need in order to feel like a quote, real writer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. It's okay, really unless tough. you're that unicorn who well... that one person who like, for example, Casey McQuiston, who red, white and Royal blue. Did you read that one? I heard of it, but I haven't read it. Okay. Okay. It's like, that's like a perfect example. Like she hit every list. She did everything. I mean, you know. Mm. But I mean, I think one thing about doing this podcast that's been very healthy for me is that um, I've spoken to people who I consider unicorns and they still are filled with self-doubt and imposter syndrome. Yeah, that has really helped, but that's it. Nothing else. (laughs) That's true. I have friends who have had all those things. Um, I have a good friend. She's like the so successful. I mean, She's just like huge. And if you talk to her, she's like, well, I've never gotten a starred review. Mm-hmm. I've never, you know what I'm saying? Like mm, I haven't absolutely. hit New York times, Like, but you're selling crazy. Like your books are <laughs> everywhere. Like you're, you have book deal every time you want it. You know, it's like, you'd think, you think that it would be, but no, you're right. It is not still. <laughs> so from imposter syndrome to just our old, our old friend, self-doubt. Yeah. So obviously title of the podcast is Worried Writer. Yes. <laughs> Do you ever have sort of struggles or creative block when you're actually writing? And if so, what do you do to keep going? Very much so. <laughs> Extreme so. I like this last one, this debate of like, what am I going to write next to, for my adult book to go on submission? You know, it, it really has to be perfect. Do I want to pivot at all and change my brand up a little? It's a good time to do that if I'm going to, because I had a two book deal with Mira and now I can change it up if I want to a little bit. And so um, then at the same time, that 
self-doubt that comes with not already having something promised, I I have found that it's been very difficult to write. And it's not the first time I've dealt with that. I've dealt with writer's block a lot. I don't know anyone who's struggled with it more, actually. (laughs) Um, It's a real problem for me. I think sometimes it takes me a long time to be able to just sit down and to get up enough confidence to even just sit down and start writing is very difficult. Unless some, unless someone has me on a deadline, in which case I'm just like, it's like homework. I'll force myself to do it. Mm. But if I'm not, if I don't have a, a deadline, if I don't have a book deal with a deadline, I can get inside my own head and I'll really struggle to write at all. Everything seems wrong. I keep hearing all the criticisms that people might have or that, might cut like I I don't know just get in my own head so Mm. bad with it how do I get out of it what is my solution (laughs) you know what I think sometimes I just have to be patient with myself and just like give myself space and time to feel excited about the project again because once I start feeling excited about writing something then I'll do it whether I'm upset or not you know if I'm excited about it and I can picture it in my head and then I start getting sucked in then self-doubt won't get me you know Mm. so I try to like use playlists a lot. I'll try to listen to songs and be like, what's the perfect song for this scene? What's the perfect song for this character? And I'll listen to it. And that will help me get excited about it again and be like, okay, I can really picture this. Okay. I can write this and I'll start Mm -hmm. feeling a little more confident again. Oh, that's fantastic advice. And thank you for sharing that as well. I don't wish it on you, but it's always very reassuring to hear that we're not alone in our (laughs) self-doubt. That's very true. It sucks. I feel bad for all of us that are struggling. My, I, I, and it's funny. I hear my friend Lane's voice in my head being like, "How many mediocre men are out there just writing because they're like, mm. this is amazing. I'm going to do this. You know, be like that guy. Just believe in it. Believe in yourself." Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And another thing that I've been that I've been working on is I. I'm not going to say what I actually say because I tend not to swear on this podcast. But um, <laughs> I say. It's just a book. It's just a yeah. swear word book. And I, I mean, obviously that, you know, I, I enjoy a bit of uh, swearing for stress relief. So apologies if that offends you. But, um, for me, I just, um, <laughs> no, it, <doesn't> <laughs> it just, it just that, that thing of it, it just, that really helps. So it's not a very evolved mantra, but it kind of helps me to, re- to remember that it is just, it is just a book. It's not life or death. It's just a story. That's, That's right. it. You know, I and if I wrote a really bad story, if I wrote a bad book, the sky isn't going to fall in. No. You know, it's fine. I'm not hurting anybody. It's that's fine. True. And so that's been my recent thing of just trying to... Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. You know, uh, leaven the weight of it a wee bit. Because as you say, when we get in our own heads, it can really feel like the most important thing. Because it's important to us. But nobody else cares. <laughs> I used to write really bad poetry and like little stories when I was a teenager. And I never worried about if they were bad, Mm -hmm. because I wasn't ever going to show them to anybody. So it was just like, and that energy is the energy that you really have to take into a first draft, and just write the thing that makes you happy or that makes you feel something and then clean it up later, Mm -hmm. fix it later, make it make it friendly for public consumption later. Mm -hmm. But I think I don't know if you've experienced this being on deadline, but when you're writing on proposal, there really isn't a first draft. There's no time for that raw first draft. And then to totally rewrite it. I mean, you're in four month deadline for a Mm. whole book, you know, so you're like, there is no like, write for a few months, take a step aside, Mm. consider it, then rewrite it. There's none of that. There's like your, your editor is going to see your first draft. Mm -hmm. And that is a totally different reality that can really get to people. Oh, absolutely. And that reminds me, I meant to ask you earlier about your sort of writing process. Oh, yeah. So you mentioned the third act there, which made me think that maybe you do some outlining or some some structural yes. work. How, how, do you, how do you write? Okay, I'll try not to geek out on this too hard. But <laughs> I, I write in four acts. I'm really fascinated by acts and by chunks in a book and like their function. I started out writing with Save the Cat, which I still use quite heavily. Uh, It's a screenwriting outlining tool in case um, I'm not sure how 
widely in use, Save the Cat is in the UK. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's pretty okay. well known. Well, certainly in the people I've spoken to, it's pretty well known. And the Save the Cat writes a novel came out yes. not so long ago, which is great. Yeah, Jessica Brody. Yeah. She has a uh, classes you can take on a platform called Udemy or okay. Udemy U D E M Y dot com. She has an a uh, Save the Cat outlining class you can take for like twenty bucks or less. It's like a self paced course. Okay. Really recommend it if you if if you're a writer interested and just curious to like kind of see what this how this works Hmm. so I do that I like to use those story beats and I started using some other tools where so like the midpoint of the story there's act 2a and there's act 2b and in traditional outlining you outline all of act 2 but you kind of consider that those two halves have slightly different functions but in in a four-act structure you really consider them like two really different pieces Mm -hmm. Um, and so breaking the book up into four equal parts like ish, I'm not, I'm not super, you know, give or take, but just Mm -hmm. like considering that the book has four parts, there's the setup in act one, where you're kind of laying all your tracks for your train. I think of it as like a roller coaster. And then in act two, a the first half of act two, to the midpoint, you're kind of climbing up the hill to that midpoint. And then the second half of act two, you're going down the hill, and it's like a crazy roller coaster, everything's falling apart. And then act three, it's of course like the big um, climax where all the stuff that you've, all the little clues and character flaws and all these things you've laid in kind of all come together to have new and surprising conclusions. So I really like that. It helps me when I feel stuck because I know what kind of thing needs to happen now. Mm. I can go back to my outline and be like, this is the time, like I know the next plot point I'm working toward. And this is the time when we should see these types of things happening. So it's it's almost like writing a haiku where if you're saying I only have five syllables to work with instead of I can do anything I want, it kind of helps me focus. And that helps me a lot. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes to the book and to the course as cool. well. That's a great tip. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I cannot believe how quick the time has gone. I know. Um, so before we finish, uh, I'd love to hear what are you working on at the moment or what's next for you? Oh, this is exciting. So I just turned in my final uh, copy edits everything for my young adult book, She's Too Pretty to Burn. That comes out at the end of March 2021. I think it's March 30th. Um, And I am now working on, I have an option with that contract. So I'm working on an option book for my young adult. Uh, Right now I've got a project where it's a teenage girl who's uh, faking her own death and going on the run. It's really fun. <laughs> and then I have an adult book in the works that I'm playing with that's like a Airbnb, locked in the woods, bad things happening type of thriller. So I've got two projects. Who knows if those will ever become books, but those are my two current works in progress. So you're staying right there in the darkness is what you're saying. I know. <laughs> I've always wanted to write about faking your own death. I just think that's so fun. Mm. Imagining like how you would do it with passports. Like how would you do it with bank accounts? Like, oh. but it's a teenage girl. I'm so excited. I hope I get to write that book. That does sound fantastic. And whereabouts can people find more about you uh, and your books online? Yeah. So all the social medias, all the socials, I'm uh, at Wendy D. Hurd. That's like D as in David, Wendy D. Hurd. And then um, my website is wendyherd.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time, Wendy. That was great. Thank you so much for having me. This was really, really fun. This is maybe my favorite interview I've ever done. It was really enjoyable. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for listening today. For show notes and links, head to worriedwriter.com. If you'd like to connect, find me on Twitter at Sarah R. Painter or use the hashtag WorriedWriter. See you next time.